0: I'm Deirdre Boza and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good
1: Monday morning, welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Boza and John Ford. The question of the morning, how much further can tech slide? NASDAQ having its worst start to a year ever. And coming off its worst session since the early pandemic, some of the streets and Valley's biggest investors now weighing in Bill Gurley, teasing more pain ahead for those looking to capitalize on tech valuations that have cratered, with Jeff Bezos co-signing that tweet, quote, markets teach, the lessons can be painful. Meanwhile, Apollo's Mark Rowan warns this morning of a potential 30% drop in the S&P. Take a listen.
2: Technology is gonna change the world, but that doesn't mean it's not overvalued. So you look at average S&P PE today, 21, long-term average 16, that's 30% to go. You know, you look at where the S&P is today versus where it was at the end of 19, we have a long way to go.
1: And not the only 1D. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson. Minimum downside, he says, to 3,800 in the near term, Mm -hmm. possibly as low as 3,460, the 200-week moving average, as investors come around to the idea that the earnings yield on the S&P hasn't been this negative in half a century.
0: Yeah, when it comes to individual names as well, I mean, you have to wonder how much further they can go. You take two large names in the market, Netflix and PayPal. John, it's really astonishing that they have actually fallen below pre-pandemic levels, which tells you if these kind of big players can do that, Is there still a world of pain in store for some of the other names that, you know, have come pretty close to that level, but it's no longer that floor that some might have thought it would be as if the pandemic never happened in terms of the digital transformation? Can they go any lower? I think that those raise some red flags for the rest of the space.
3: Sure. I mean, of course, the market could go a lot lower. I mean, what's the opposite of a Kathy Wood, right? Like, we've been talking about Kathy Wood a lot, but in this market, it's like what's passed for debate is somebody who's bullish about one thing arguing against somebody who's bullish about another thing, equities wise. But I mean, what, a little bit more than a year ago, there was this argument oh, we should do away with shorts. Shorts should get out of the market. Well, the shorts were right, right? And, yeah. um, you know, things traded at inflated valuations for so long that people started to think it's normal. Carl, things could just as easily trade below where they historically have for so long that people think that is normal. And and so that (laughs) calls for investor conviction. What do you really (laughs) think is worth it? What do you really think is going to last? Oh, and by the way, the math is going to change here because as growth slows, you know, both the numerator and the denominator Mm -hmm. is gonna shift on these multiples.
1: Uh, Indeed. Uh, You know, we're starting to uh, use words like uh, the TMT, COVID bubble, bursting, uh, D. Interesting work by Michael Batnick today looking at arcs, particularly uh, the decline worse than the the queues were over the same number of days going back to March of 2000. So you can you can literally say bubbles bursting and and no one's really going to look askance.
0: And going back to that Bill Gurley tweet over the weekend, um, he says revenue and earnings quality matter. That's interesting coming from him because, of course, he operates in the venture capital world where you have to see things further out in the distance. He argues that the price to sales multiple is a valuation metric that really matters. You have to see the quality within there. Things like gross margin and free cash flow. And guys, that's a good question to ask at the start of this week when we had the gig economy companies reporting. Um, They came up over the last decade, right? In a lot of ways, it was the recession of 2008, 2009 that enabled these business models. And now they're coming back down to these low levels. Uber Uber in particular has never reached the level it was valued at in the private markets. Should investors get in? Are they valuable? plays? Are they tech companies? We'll see. This week will give us more more clues about where this market's heading.
1: Uh, indeed, Uber, Lyft, uh, Dash, and some others, uh, along with 160 other S&P names. Meantime, as stocks did slide in Q1, Buffett was buying. He detailed some of Berkshire's move over the weekend in Omaha. Uh, but what do, what do his purchases say about where we are in the cycle, along with his cash position? Mike Santoli was there, of course, joins us this morning.
4: Yeah, Carl. I mean, on a surface level, I'm inclined to take Buffett at his, at his word that he doesn't make a market call. He doesn't buy or sell based on where he thinks the overall market is going to be going. And in fact, he'll, say, he'll tell you he has no feel for where it might go talked about how in october of 2008 he was doing a lot of buying people thought he was a genius well that wasn't the bottom it was four or five months uh, and and maybe 20 percent lower uh, before there was an actual bottom however the fact that he has been a net buyer shows you that opportunities are surfacing for value sensitive investors who have a long-term time horizon also i did find it interesting that uh, Berkshire Hathaway did increase its stake through buying of Apple shares a little bit because Buffett has been content to have his share of Apple go up on a relative basis as Apple buys back stock from everybody else. Uh, And he really extols the virtues of that approach. But the fact that he found uh, a reason to actually lay out some cash for that may be interesting. It's of no help, really, to the overall NASDAQ 100, which is, again, stretching this downside. We're down at a one-year basis, 7%. It's been the downside leader. I find all this tar- talk, Carl, of now valuation sensitivity uh, growing among tech investors as, well, that's been the project of this market for the last six months. We've been working on the, on the P side, on the, on the multiple side. The earnings have mostly held up. uh, And I think that it makes a lot of sense. But I don't know necessarily that that's news to this market. It's happening in an orderly way. Uh, I think the Fed's okay with it for that reason. Uh, So my point is not that that's that's wrong, that we don't have to rationalize uh, PEs more. We're only back to the beginning of the pandemic levels. But I also feel like this process is well underway. Uh, they say the pendulum
1: never stops in the middle, Mike. I, I'm right. curious, um, you know, we, how many cycles have we been through where Buffett's been called out of touch? Yes. Was there any sense of justification that Berkshire shares relative to ARC were back to even going back
4: years now? I think in general, uh, they were able to point to many ways in which their approach, which is buy real businesses that we understand. Um, essentially, don't worry about where the market is going to go. Don't chase something because... Uh, it's hot. Yeah, sure. They can kind of brag about that. Also, it's a little bit of happenstance in there. Where have they made investments over the very long term? Well, it's in utilities. It's in railroads. It's in energy infrastructure. It's in consumer staple type names. Uh, it's in insurance. Literally mm-hmm. all five of those areas are in relative favor right now compared to the rest yeah. of the market. They didn't build it that way. It just, it's, it's come to them.
0: Yeah, and what's notable the past quarter as well, Mike, is that he didn't pick up more tech, right? He famously said that he only invests in things that he understands. Um, But one thing that was interesting is his bet on Activision Blizzard, not necessarily a bet on it or Microsoft, but basically an arbitrage bet that this deal would go through which would be interesting for some of the big tech companies, except markets never really cared about the regulatory piece of things. They never really moved with the threat of greater greater regulation. At the same time, we do have these headlines coming out of Europe this morning that could result in billions of dollars of fines for Apple.
4: Sure, it could. And you're right that the the market has usually set those things aside. The Activision deal, to me, has nothing to do with tech. It has everything to do with Warren Buffett, insurance underwriter, saying, let me look at the probabilities. Let me look at what risks are embedded in this price. Am I willing to take the other side and bet that this gets through, in which case it's, you know, $20 a share in free money the market's handing to me. So it really isn't about the insight uh, around the business at all. It's just one Mm -hmm. of those times he felt like the market, you know, gave him a little bit of a lopsided risk reward bargain."
0: Right. And even if, if it did relate to somehow the regulatory environment, Microsoft yep. in, in a different category than some of the other big tech names. Uh, Mike Santoli, thank you. We're going to continue discussing where's the value in this tech trade. Mega caps, they are still weak. Meta's the only one seeing gains after rocky earnings for Alphabet and Amazon. More results ahead. Mobility names like Uber and DoorDash reporting later this week. Joining us now, Morgan Stanley, senior internet research equity analyst, Brian Nowak. Brian, good morning to you. Uh, before we get to the week ahead, did anything fundamental for any of the big cap tech names change last week?
5: Thank hey, you, morning,. Uh, thanks for having me. I would say a, a few things stand out that are notable. The first thing is, generally speaking, uh, across all the space, the, the consumer continues to hold up for now. You know, Amazon is still seeing very robust demand, no real sign of weakness in the advertising markets, which are very predicated on strengthening e-commerce. So first punchline is the consumer for now. Is still holding up quite well, which is important for the whole space. Other than that, there are certain idiosyncratic factors. So I would say on, on Meta and Facebook, they are actually making more progress on driving engagement of their new Reels product, which we think is important for the long-term monetization and sort of turning the narrative on that asset. So we like the progress that Meta is making a lot around Reels. And then on Amazon, I think the punchline is they overbuilt and they overhired, and it is going to take a little longer... For all the profits to come through that we thought were going to come through post-shelter and reopening. They added the equivalent of the same amount of capacity in the last 24 months as they've added in the past 25 years, and now they have to grow into that. And so we don't think anything has changed fundamentally about Amazon's e-commerce business, how to think about growth, how to think about the long-term unit economics, but the time in which it's going to take to grow into this capacity is going to take longer, which probably means that outperformance for this name is probably going to take another three to six months down the road.
0: Right. But the loss just over the last week has been staggering for a company of this size, nearly 17 percent. And, you know, there's been a lot of discussion. If you value Amazon where it is now, you're essentially valuing its non AWS, non cloud business at almost zero. On the other hand, though, and this is a point brought up by my dot com colleague Ari Levy. This is a 28 year old company that has a negative operating margin.
5: Yeah. No, that's correct. I mean, I think you know, the, the company goes into the penalty box because there's now questions about the long-term unit economics of retail, which still do matter to really making this a strong stock for the next 12 to 24 months. Um, I look at total valuation, company-wide valuation, know some of the parts, and you say, well, the long-term average multiple on Amazon is about 20 to 21 times forward EBITDA. It's now down to 12 times that. And so even if you don't want to talk about some of the parts, even if you just say, let's say you can even get to close half of that gap from 12 to 20 on the multiple, as you prove the retail business still has the unit economics we all hope it can, there's a lot of upside in the name when you have patience for investors.
3: Brian, let's talk about these um, gig economy, ride hailing, and I would call them last mile companies in a way. So uh, Uber... Lyft, DoorDash. There's this weird thing happening where the inflationary environment type labor market has made Uber and Lyft really pretty expensive right now. DoorDash is in this interesting position where, yeah, of course it's also expensive, but it's got Dash Pass as well. And it's kind of making this move to be a marketing vehicle, even for consumers who want to pick up from store, perhaps. So, of those names, which do you think is most inflation protected and most labor market protected?
5: It's mm, a good question. I I think it's Uber just because of the rides side of the business. You know, we think that the the elasticity around rides is likely to be lower than the elasticity around eats, but there is an impact on both. Now, in the near term, as we go into the the back half of this week and look to the rest of the year, we think that between the reopening of the world, people going back out, people traveling, people coming back to work, even at more uh, at smaller percentages than previously. I think the rides business can really snap back much more than appreciated, and the rides business. Because we think the unit economics there are quite strong, we think it's actually the, the rideshare industry is a piece that the market is not giving Uber or Canada even Lyft credit for when we think about the free cash flow that can be generated over the next couple of years. So we think rides has more protection from inflation than the Eats business does.
1: Brian, that's interesting because, you know, today uh, New York City is raising its COVID alert level. Um, Pfizer's uh, Paxlovid uh, failed its endpoint as a preventative measure, got some vaccine makers up today. I know this is the question no one wants to think about, but is there a possibility that tactically some of these COVID names uh, and some of the, the ride dynamics that various companies might get a, a, a second life, even for a short time?
5: I mean, if there's a, a pullback and reopening, is that what you mean, Carl? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: I hope not, certainly.
5: But no, I mean, if, if that did happen, then you would probably have, you would go back to the shelter in playbook where, you know, rides would probably stall in its reopening and sort of all the travel the travel dynamics and all the travel companies would uh, probably have an air pocket from that. But then the, the beauty of Uber here is this is where you have Eats. And when you did have shelter income, that really did pull forward a lot of new Eats users, Eats families, and ultimately Eats volumes. And so, It's possible. I certainly hope that doesn't happen for society. But that's part of why we favor Uber, because you do have both Mm. sides, where if ride stalls, then EATS can sort of come in.
0: Yeah. That EATS is supposed to be a hedge, but certainly the stock hasn't acted that way. Um, We'll see if that changes. Brian Nowak, thank you so much.
5: Thanks so much.
3: Now, the sell-off in tech has uh, been a big part of the market. But if we look under the hood, there's been some divergence in performance, for better and for worse. Frank Holland has a look at how enterprise software has fear. Hey, Frank.
6: Hey there, John. You know, the NASDAQ 100 down more than 20 percent year to date, but Enterprise and and Cloud Stocks taking an even bigger dive. We're taking a look at the IGV ETF coming off its worst month since inception. Also, the CLU cloud computing ETF pretty much coming off a tie for its worst month since inception. Let's take a look at what's actually working. Enterprise focused on payments. We're going to start off with Jack Henry, that's a company that processes payments for the financial services industry, FleetCor, That has fuel cards for fleets and big payments for big oil and other government customers. Can't get it out today. Uh, you can see both of them up double digits here to, to date. But despite supply chain challenges and some really big business shifts, we're looking at a company like Salesforce, down 30% year to date. Also, Coupa, a company that handles supply chain. We've seen so many supply chain disruptions. That stock down 44% year to date, almost 45%. But this stock also has a forward P.E. over 400, getting hit especially hard in the current interest rate environment. Now, we're going to look at something I've been beating the drum about, cloud spending up more than 30 percent year to date. Also, adoption supposed to be accelerated by cybersecurity concerns and also hybrid work. But those cloud stocks, they just remain under pressure. The outlier, one of the big outliers right now, that's Box. That is a cloud storage company, uh, also a bit of a hybrid workplace. Storage, of course, also needed, always needed. Box also giving guidance. It will surpass that rule of 40 this fiscal year. That's combined Free, free cash flow margin and revenue growth. That's a really key metric for high growth stocks. But we're also taking a look at a stock like Datadog. That stock has a forward PE over 200, getting hit by that interest rate pressure. Also, DocuSign falling this year after issuing weak guidance over the past two quarters. Also, growth slowing down in the current uh, you know, COVID environment, certainly not the growth that we saw during the peak of COVID maybe just a year ago. Back over to you.
3: Still stuck on box. You know, You made me look back. It is up about 42% right. over the past 12 months. It had been an underperformer for a long time. This gets into that whole issue of, uh, for a lot of reasons, I think cloud can be a nonsense term these days because it's software and there are all sorts of different layers of software. And then there's some infrastructure in there too. But there's some companies like, um, like Microsoft, right? ServiceNow, we just had on last week, post earnings. even within enterprise software, they're doing relatively well.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want know, to talk about software. There's definitely a line there. Um, there's also another company, Zendesk, up to up, uh, I believe, double digits this year. So there are some bright spots in here. And if you want to just stretch it out a little bit more, you look at a company like MasterCard, actually positive this year. Is that a software company processing payments? So
3: you're right. The, the lines are a bit blurred when it comes to some of these things. When software is hot, everybody wants to be a software company. We'll see what they want to be next. Frank, thanks. Still to come, the CEO of On Semiconductor, that company reporting results. More tech check after this.
7: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast.
1: A significant amount of intraday chop here. First couple hours of trade, NASDAQ was up uh, better than 1%, about 1.2 actually. uh, Got lost very quickly as that's now gone negative and the Dow uh, D down 125.
0: Yeah, and Amazon, obviously a big name in this market, down another three percent today after closing down 14% Friday. We're going to do a gut check on Amazon where it stands this morning. A slew of notes with broader takeaways from the company's results. City removing its removing UPS from its focus list. The firm says Amazon's labor and infrastructure overcapacity means a potential pullback ahead of the rest. For the rest of the industry, shares of UPS fell Friday after Amazon's numbers. And while Amazon's hyperinvestment in its fulfillment centers that raised costs and hurt their results, Bank of America, Mizuho, and others are not worried about a slowdown in industrial real estate. Barclays even saying buy Duke Realty and Prologis on any weakness there. John?
3: All right. Now let's get a check on semiconductors, the uh, SOXX down 27% year-to-date, the index in the green today, as are shares of OnSemi. Chip supplier reporting record earnings, revenue, and margins for the first quarter. And joining us now exclusively, semi CEO, Hassan al Khoury. Uh, Hassan, good morning. So, um, morning. overall, you were up uh, in automotive and industrial, uh, that area for you, 42% year-over-year. It's now 65% of your revenue. This reminds me. Of Qualcomm. We were talking to Cristiano Amon last week, who's also focused in growth in automotive and industrial areas. What's happening sort of at the customer level, what they're doing with technology that gives you confidence that this most likely continues?
8: Sure. Uh, So look, at a high level, auto and industrial are driving a lot of the mega trends that are uh, driving the, the demand from our customers. So if I break it down, it comes with, for automotive, it's the ADAS, for autonomous driving, and from our side, the power for electrification. That is driving net content increases at much favorable uh, ASPs because of the value those products uh, create. That is what's driving uh, a a revenue increase year on year. And we see that electrification and autonomous uh, uh, penetration in automotive vehicles to be more as a percent of total cars made. So that growth is a multi-year growth. Think about the next decade.
3: Okay, so you're saying that despite the uh, macroeconomic environment, geopolitical tensions, you're confident in the underlying uh, drivers of these trends, but how much do you expect um, uh, the weakening consumer, perhaps that seems to be what's happening and the implications then for your customers to affect the business? Are you uh, giving an extra eye to costs going forward or something else? Or do you think that you're largely immune from the macroeconomic environment because of what you mentioned?
8: Look, from a cost perspective, we never let our eye off the ball from what happens to costs. That's where we're driving a lot of our efficiencies uh, through our manufacturing. And that's what you see reflected a lot in our gross margin uh, expansion that we've had last year and even this quarter. But fundamentally, What gives me comfort in the growth trajectory that we've had so far and having uh, moving forward is really the content that those new vehicles are going to have versus the same vehicle last year. You know, EV for us has 30X more content than an internal combustion engine vehicle, whether it's EV or, or ADAS. That fundamentally is driving the growth no matter what the SAR or the total number of vehicles happen. We remain confident, so do our customers, that the number of EVs, net number of units made that are electric vehicles, are going to be higher next year than they were this year and higher this year than they were last year. That's the fundamental growth.
3: Okay, so, Hassan, from other CEOs who have this level of growth and this level of confidence in the underlying trends in their industries, I'm starting to hear more and more yeah, we're open to MA because not everybody in this space is going to be as well positioned as as we are. And there's some good product out there that maybe has had inflated prices in the past and the prices are coming down. Are you seeing that? Are you, uh, do you have a shopping list?
8: (laughs) Look, M&A is a continuous uh, uh, process for us here. Uh, The beauty of where we stand today is our standalone plan, how what we've done so far and what's yet to be done as far as value creation allows us to be very disciplined about the M&A targets that we go after. Uh, we're always looking you know these are non deterministic our focus is always on having a solid footing because M&A will just be incremental to that but the most important point i want to make is our ability to be very disciplined because it is not about you know worries about pricing or worries about costs and so on it is more on a strategic level is when we will go after a, a target for for M&A because i don't see the volatility in pricing Uh, Because we've been pricing on the value of our products, and value of the product does not change depending on what the macro does. It's it's tied to the product itself.
3: Okay. Finally, please talk to me about two risks in particular. One out of China, and that's uh, the COVID lockdowns going longer than some expect. And then out of Europe, and this continuing tragic war in Ukraine. um, on, On the potential downside, how are you positioning yourself versus those two things?
8: Yeah, look, so we, we've put up a, a strong guide for the second quarter up from uh, even the beat that we had in the first quarter. But in that guide, we already had about a 2% top line uh, risk, uh, given the, the, the macro, whether geopolitical or the COVID lockdown. So even with a very healthy beat in Q2 up from Q1, that already includes about a two percent uh, uh, top line. That's not demand that's going away. That's demand that will just maybe shift into other quarters as the lockdowns ease and we're able to run operations back to where we were prior to the lockdown.
3: All right, with Ansemi up almost two and a half percent, two and a third after earnings. Sasan Khoury from Ansemi, thanks for joining us.
8: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: As we go to break, uh, the tape overall, as we said earlier, pretty choppy. NASDAQ back in the green, but only to the tune of about 16 points. As uh, the S&P, once again, not far from the uh, opening lows today of 41.10. We'll keep our eye on that. We'll be right back.
7: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait,
9: did that agenda just write itself?
7: Words appear, making this unexplainable case.
9: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds.
7: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this
9: now. Canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
1: Welcome back to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston. In just a moment, Julia's got more on the future of media's streaming strategy. A lot of stocks badly beaten down to start the year, although in the green this morning. First, though, it is time for a news update with our Kate Rooney. Hey, Kate.
0: Hey, Carl. Good morning. Shares of Spirit Airlines are down almost 10 percent. The carrier's board is rejecting JetBlue's $3.6 billion cash bid, saying there's too much risk that regulators wouldn't approve the merger. Spirit wants to go ahead with its deal to be acquired by Frontier at a lower price. U.S. construction spending edged up by just 0.1% in March. That's less than February's 0.5% increase and way below the 0.7% gain expected by economists. And U.S. manufacturing activity slowed down in April. The Institute for Supply Management says its index of national factory activity dropped to 55.4 from 57.1. In March, economists were expecting that number would rise. Carl, back to you.
1: All right, Kate, thanks so much. As we've said this morning, April did mark the worst month for the Nasdaq since 2008, came on the heels of last week's big tech earnings, as you know. Who's left standing and where might you start to look for value? Joining us this morning, Plexo Capital founding managing partner, Lo Tony, is with us. Lo, good to have you back. Good morning.
10: Good morning. Thanks for having
1: me. Uh, we've had some conversations in the last few weeks about relative strength in areas like software and cyber and cloud. But given all the uncertainties and with the Fed on the horizon this week, are are you actually shopping right now? Well,
10: you know, look, I think if one has a long term perspective, which is really important, you know, I think back to comments from the the Berkshire Hathaway um, conference this past weekend. I mean, we, we need to get out of this short-term mentality this casino mentality and if that's the case then there are some important trends to take note of and be able to apply that to a strategy and you know i think one of the ones that that stands out within this environment right now is is microsoft you know if i think about the the nature and the composition of the business model for microsoft it's extremely resilient to what we see right now in this inflationary environment the growth of the cloud computing business, the ability for Microsoft to continue to show leadership there, focused on the digital transformation that's not slowing down. You know, if we look at the surveys of the IT professionals in the large companies, they're not going to slow down in terms of what they're going to deploy for dollars to provide more infrastructure, continue the trend of the you know, remote workforce now that the genie is out of the bottle post-COVID. So those are all things that, that we like. And we think that those are long-term trends that are not going to go away. And if we focus on some of these companies, especially a company like Microsoft that does have a really strong balance sheet and good cash flows, you know that's definitely going to be one that's going to be a little more resilient within this environment.
1: That's interesting because on a a strict valuation basis, it's less expensive than some, but more expensive than others. I mean, among the big names that we talk about a lot.
10: That's right. That's right. And, you know, look, I think right now, again, if we focus on long term, you know, these are the types of opportunities that we need to take a look at. And, you know, look, Don't have a short term focus. I'm not here to talk about things on the short term, but if one is interested in how we're going to see some of these trends play out, particularly digital transformation within the enterprise, but even touching the consumers, you know, these trends are here long term. And we need to look at the strongest companies that have the ability to generate cash flow while at the same time being extremely efficient in how they do their growth as well.
0: Lo, what about fintech? I mentioned at the beginning of the show that PayPal has done a more than pandemic round trip in terms of its stock price. And we had uh, Scott Minard of Guggenheim on this morning talking to Brian Sullivan on Worldwide Exchange, saying that some of these names in the fintech space straight up are trading like value companies. Is there opportunity here? The landscape has changed, however. There's a lot more competition.
10: There's a lot more competition, and the competition is coming from a lot of the upstarts, Companies that have recently gone public—you know—we've seen some resilience in the private markets, with fintech in particular, with regard to valuations. But I do think, you know, again, not only do we see a lot of these more resilient names that are showing the ability to generate cash flows, they've held up fairly well. In fact, when we look at the multiples, to your point, they almost look a little bit in trade more like a value uh, stock. But again. Deidre, I think you know it's important, and John always talks about you know the fang, and and we talk about unbundling that, and what we're really speaking to is going deeper on the actual business models, and I think we have to apply that to fintech as well. Not all fintechs are created equal. Some of them have their business models more geared towards consumers. In this environment of increasing um, inflation and interest rates, you know we might see some of those companies struggle. But for some of the fintechs that have more of an enterprise focus that are doing things like providing the back office support for processing payments and things of that nature, you know, those companies probably will look a little bit different in their performance.
3: Hey, Lo, uh, this might be a little controversial, but might this be a historic opportunity not to buy anything? I mean, (laughs) I mean, over the past six months, there's very little that you would have missed out on if you just hadn't bought. If you just waited around waiting for bargains to show up right now, you'd be looking like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot that's cheaper now than six months ago. uh, And a lot of stuff has gone down. Right. A lot more than inflation has endangered the dollar. So might this be an opportunity to wait and see the impact of what the Fed does, wait and see how much the economy slows down, which companies, you know, fall by the wayside, and, you know, look again in three months.
10: Yeah, look, I mean, one of the things that I always learned when I was coming up was, you know, don't try to catch a falling knife. And, you know, I think there's something to be said there. Don't always rush in and try to make a decision. I think, John, your point around the Fed and what they're going to do, we have some signals around the from the Fed Um You know, I think we do need to really understand what these rate increases are going to look like. The Fed has made it extremely clear their number one focus is to combat inflation no matter what. And even to the point where it might throw the economy into a recession. I think the Fed is in a really tough position. They waited too long to make moves on interest rates. It's going to be very difficult to navigate a soft landing. And to your point, John, yeah, I think, yes, There, there is something to be said about just holding steady to see how things play out. Is there going to be a 50 BIPs increase in rates? Is it just going to be 25? You know, those things, I, I feel like some of it's priced in. I don't think all of it is priced in and there's still some uncertainty.
1: Yeah, that, that's and it's that white space between, say, a 50-50 recession scenario low And the one in three that we appear to be in right now that appears to be leading to a lot of this intraday chop, right? Because there's a wide disparity among uh, the valuation models you could put together on any of these names.
10: Yeah, no doubt. And, And look, I think when we look at our models, everything that we try to look at gives us the indication that, you know, we're so close and on the edge to a recession. There's too many moving pieces. You know, we've looked at the increase over the past 12 months. In um, in commodity prices, particularly oil, and we kind of got to that one indicator of doubling oil prices within 12 months. But then we receded back when we pulled back, Um, you know, inflation above 4 percent, employment below 4 percent, unemployment below 4 percent. I mean, that's another indicator. Um, The yield curve, like all these things are teetering right at the edge. And I think, look, everyone is trying to figure out where should we be right now with regard to our trading strategies. And again, I just think about it, John's point, let's just take a reset and think long term. There's no real rush. There's no need to make moves right now.
1: Yeah, hard hard to imagine that would what would lead us explosively higher. Uh, And certainly we're going to know a lot more by the end of this week than we know right now. Lo, good discussion. Good to see you, man. Thank you. Hello, Tony.
10: Appreciate it.
0: After the break, one Wall Street firm is asking if we've reached the point of no return for media stocks. Tech Check is back in just a moment.
3: Well, media stocks have been a scary movie this year. You kind of had to watch it like this. Uh, Disney down 28 percent year to date. Netflix down 67 percent. Our parent Comcast down 21. So are those moves and valuations causing companies to rethink their businesses. Julia Forston has that. Hey Julia.
2: Well, John, with Netflix's earnings raising questions about what the future of streaming will look like, the media giants do continue to bet big on the format. NBC Universal, CNBC's parent company, this morning at Peacock's new front ad presentation, unveiling some new ad formats. One that runs ads around the frame of the show, and another which integrates a brand into a show post-production. Peacock also announcing three original films that will premiere on the streamer in 2023. They're also making Peacock the streaming home of Bravo and of Lionsgate films starting in 2024. This as Peacock pushes for subscribers and NBC Universal acknowledges the uncertain fate of the theatrical film business now all of this comes despite the fact that the original streamer netflix has as you mentioned john cena's stockfall 67 percent year to date meanwhile streaming platform roku is still down about 58 percent year to date and the other media giants are suffering as well disney shares down 27 percent nbcu parent comcast down about 21 percent And this year, Warner Brothers Discovery shares down 22%. Now, Paramount Global and Fox, those are the only two media companies that are pretty much flat this year. And while uh, Fox is down just a hair this, this today, um, Paramount is down 26% in the past year. Those two stocks, sorry, around flat today. But Moffat-Nathanson with a neutral rating um, for all of its media universe other than Fox, which has a buy rating, writing, quote, judging by the recent struggles at Netflix, the business model isn't as attractive as once thought due to the intensifying competition for time, attention and consumer spending. So today's ad presentation from Peacock, there are going to be other ad presentations from YouTube and Amazon and others. They all shine a spotlight on the potential for ad-supported services, which of course come either free or at a lower cost and an alternative to Netflix. And this all comes as Netflix works to launch its own ad-supported service. And Paramount reports its earnings tomorrow morning. We can be sure that its subscribers, as well as its digital ad business, will be very much in focus. Guys,
0: So, Julie, I wonder what you think happens with content spending in this environment with multiples compressing. Um, How do you think that also the traditional players are looking at this versus big tech, which still does have, you know, mountains of cash to spend
2: on content? Well, look, I would say there are probably two categories here because we have Amazon and Apple in one category, and they are using their content investment in a very specific way. They really want people to be part of their ecosystem. Netflix has said that it's going to be a little bit more cautious about spending, maybe a little bit more thoughtful about where it puts the those content dollars. And then we have the traditional media giants and what they're balancing is these trade-offs. Should we put something direct on our streaming service? Should we condense that window between theatrical or is this something that is going to get us those big theatrical box office dollars. And I think everyone is making these calculations right now about where they're going to get the most bang for their buck and how they can try to build their streaming services without having that cannibalize um, that theatrical movie business. And of course, guys, we don't know how big the movie business is going to be, but this summer is going to be a big test.
1: Yeah, pretty fascinating, including some day and date announcements out of our parent, uh, Julia. Really good summation of where we are right now. That's our Julia Borston. Coming up after the break, EU regulators take on Apple Pay. That story is coming up next.
0: Gut check on Apple. Morgan Stanley reiterating the stock at overweight price target of $195. The firm highlighting Apple's continued gross margin expansion, gradual supply improvements. Shares are down about one and a half percent. Plus, they see multiple tailwinds driving a re-rating over the next 12 months. Adoption of 5G smartphones and PC market share gains. Just some examples. The tech giant, though, is facing some EU scrutiny this morning. Our Steve Kovac joins us with the details. Steve, of course, we have to put uh, disclaimer on this saying that this is just a preliminary view, but it does take aim at Apple Pay, which people who cover the fintech space, they sometimes say that this is the biggest threat to some of the smaller players on more than a billion devices, right? It is a behemoth. So what is this specifically about?
11: Yeah, that's exactly right, Deirdre. So the EU is kind of signaling to Apple this morning that they're not too happy with the way these NFC payments work on the, on the uh, iPhone. So th- that's the chip that lets you tap your iPhone to make payments at a credit card terminal. Right now, Apple has that locked onto its wallet app. So while you can have plenty of, you know, your America Express card or whatever major credit card you want in there, uh, it's still locked into that Apple ecosystem, of which every transaction, Apple takes a fraction of a percent of each. So that's how Apple makes money. You multiply that by a billion iPhones and however many zillions of transactions, are going on. And it it adds up. Uh, So what they're saying is Apple really needs to open this wallet up and allow other wallets, maybe a PayPal, maybe a Block uh, onto there as well to increase the competition. Um, Apple has already responded that. They told me, uh, quote, Apple Pay is only one of many options available to European consumers for making NFC payments and has ensured equal access to NFC while setting industry leading standards for privacy and security. Now, what they're talking about there, it's open to other credit cards and banks, but Another wallet app cannot live on there. So there's a little bit of a difference there, Deirdre. Huh.
3: Now, Steve, I would argue, tell me what you think, <laughs> okay. that this doesn't matter because <laughs> this is sort of like arguing that, oh, you know, Google and Chrome, you've got to let people choose to search on another search right. service. Or like, and, and you know, there's a big lift for people to do that. When you set up your iPhone or your iOS device, even your Mac at this point, you're given a very smooth way to either put your credit cards in or transfer your existing Apple Pay credentials over. So so Apple's going to win either way, even if after this goes through the process for years and years, they have to open up the option for people to add their, their credentials to other services, don't you think?
11: Yeah, that's exactly right, John. That's the simplicity of being in the Apple ecosystem, right? It's right there at the setup. Maybe they try to change the way that setup works. But what the EU is saying here is they're not giving enough opportunity for these alternatives to live and have access to that NFC chip. And that's where the real sticking point is. So any remedies that come up for that is going to be really interesting to see how they want to tackle that problem. And again, as we're seeing with all this regulation coming out of the EU, just because it's only an EU thing, these change so fundamentally how the iOS works that it's going to be a global change if they have to do it, not just restricted to EU.
1: Yeah, we didn't even get to the uh, 10Q, uh, looking at gross margins, uh, normalizing at a higher rate. And then this fascinating Johnny Ive piece over the weekend uh, about the Ive era and what happened when he left. Uh, Steve, good stuff. Thank you. Steve Kovac. As we go to break, a quick programming note. Don't miss Bank of America's Brian Moynihan on Power Lunch today. It's coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern time. In the meanwhile, Tech Check, we'll be right back. In today's overvalued, undervalued, how about no value? Warren Buffett saying he wouldn't buy all the Bitcoin in the world for $25. Take a listen.
9: Whether it goes up or down in the next year or five years, 10 years, I don't know. But the one thing I'm pretty sure of is that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't multiply, it doesn't produce anything. It's, it's, uh, it's got a magic to it, and people have attached magics to lots of things.
10: In my life, I try and avoid things that are stupid, an evil, and made me look bad in comparison with somebody else. And Bitcoin does all three.
1: That's uh, Buffett's number two, Charlie Munger, of course, chipping in there as well with some choice words for crypto. Not the first time that Berkshire has waved a red cape in front of the Bitcoin bulls. Buffett previously referred to it as rat poison and a mirage. Of course, then he was called a, quote, sociopathic grandpa for those comments, D, by none other than yeah. Peter Thiel
0: you know, he doesn't invest in tech that he doesn't understand. And so the key question here is, do you need to understand the technology behind Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to invest in it? Many in the space would say no um, and draw parallels to the internet, right? Uh, say that people didn't understand the internet at the beginning. So anyways, we'll, we'll see what happens, but don't forget to follow, subscribe for our podcast. Tech Check is back in just a moment.
1: One more thing, and that's putting the block in blockchain. Lego is planning to increase software investments by hundreds of millions of dollars while also tripling their digital workforce. People close to Lego tell the FT one of their biggest regrets is not developing Minecraft, but now it's partnering with Fortnite maker Epic Games to launch a metaverse for kids in the next 12 months. Whether or not that's a bankable idea remains to be seen. Roblox uh, touching all-time lows earlier this morning, John. What do you think? Would that change your mind on metaverse? <laughs> uh, no, but Lego's great.
3: Uh, Epic is great. My kids love Lego and love Fortnite, so they could be onto something, Carl. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hey, if John's Guys, a somewhat old- believer.
1: <laughs> exactly. A uh, lot of stuff to get to in the coming days. Uh, Airbnb and AMD, for example, tomorrow night. Busy week ahead, along with the Fed and Jobs Friday.
0: You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,